Welcome to episode 92 of Frank Reactions, the podcast where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name is Tema Frank. There was lots of interest in last week's podcast episode on accessibility in web and mobile app design. We've all got to recognize that not only are there lots of people who have acknowledged disabilities, there are an awful lot of us in our 40s and older who are pretty heavy web users, but we're starting to deal with issues like less than perfect eyesight or hearing challenges, or hand tremors that make it harder to get the cursor in the exact right spot needed to click on something, to say nothing of broken and sprained limbs. So although it's not specifically about accessibility, many of the user experience tips that I give in my report on 85 tips for a usable website are something that you may find useful if you're responsible for a website or have any input into what goes into one, or how it's designed. And you can download that free by going to http colon slash slash bit.ly, so b-i-t dot l-y forward slash 85ux tips. So the number 85, obviously. So b-i-t dot l-y forward slash 85ux tips. And of course, to hear that episode on accessibility, if you missed it, just go to frankreactions.com forward slash 91. Now to today's episode. Today's interview is with Craig Nadeau, who is the managing director of Maxim Contractors, who do tenant improvements in office buildings. And the conversation actually started when I was chatting with a former business student of mine when I was teaching at the University of Alberta, who now works at the company. And he mentioned that the company had gone from 1 million in revenues to 5 million in the past year and a half. When I asked him how they'd done that at a time when most businesses in Calgary were really suffering because of the low oil prices, he said that a big part of it was improving their customer service and working more closely with customers to develop cost-effective solutions for them. So I decided I wanted to find out more from the head of the organization, Craig Netto. This interview is really about business strategy overall, as well as how customer service has figured into that. Enjoy the interview, and I'll chat with you briefly at the end of it. Uh, I'm Craig Meadow with Maxim Constructors, and we do primarily tenant improvement work in construction in uh, non-residential areas in Calgary. Okay. Now, I would have assumed that given that Calgary is going through a tough time with oil prices being so low, that companies like yours would be struggling. You're not? We, we're, we're quite busy, and that's partly because of the niche that we're in and also because we uh, very intentionally operate a little bit differently than a lot of our competitors. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, our niche is, um, you know, essentially a commercial construction portfolio that involves work that landlords need to do or property managers need to do regardless of whether or not the economy is strong or weak. So when a tenant either moves because they're downsizing or moves because they're upsizing or if they abandon a suite completely then they they involve us so what happens like if they're leaving and nobody's taking the place what's your role then yeah so our role essentially uh you know if a tenant's been in a suite for even a couple of years they've they've done damage to walls carpet 
and really they've made a suite that was essentially just for them. When landlords look at that suite, they say that was that is going to be hard to lease to a new tenant because it doesn't fit everybody. Right. And so they most typically tear out everything that was in the suite, and then they bring it back to to zero, essentially. Oh, interesting. Okay. And when you're doing work on suites where tenants have just moved in, is it then the tenant that would be paying you or the landlord? Uh, it, it's a combination. It's not always the tenant. And oftentimes, the landlord controls the entire construction process, and, and they can deliver to the tenant a uh, completely finished product. But other times, the, the landlord will give the tenant um, a cash inducement to do whatever they want to do. And if they use the money, great. And if they don't use the money, then it gets applied to rent or something else. Right. Okay. There certainly, I would imagine, has been a fair bit. I mean, I know there's been a lot of downsizing of staff, so I'd imagine there's been a lot of downsizing of offices. So that's interesting, then. Your model works whether things are going down or up. Yes. How competitive is that niche within the industry? Um, It's it's very competitive. There's, you know, you can imagine, of course, there's going to be a massive range of projects that are going to be from you know, a landlord or a tenant simply will want to recarpet a suite or paint a door. You know, it's a very small project. And that's going to range way up to where a landlord needs to uh, completely demolish a completely finished suite and then will need to rebuild it for the next tenant. And that could be several million dollars wow. for that type of project. So what happens at the competitive level is that at the lower end, Everyone who's unemployed who owns a hammer suddenly became a contractor. So <laughs> we deal a lot with that crowd. And so they're they're always there. They and essentially the the guy that does the quote is the also the same guy that does the the painting, tile work and everything. Mm-hmm. At the other end of the spectrum, the crowd thins out quite a, a great deal and we're dealing with the largest companies, you know, that that deal with multi million dollar projects that would never consider a small project. Right. We sit in the middle. We don't really like super small projects. We'll do them if it is in the best interest of our relationship with a client. Yeah. The really big projects, we have a limit. We'll go to about $5 million on a build. Okay. How long has your company existed? Well, I guess, you know, there's the legalities and then there's <laughs> yeah. the practicalities of that. But right. essentially, we've been doing construction since 2000. And there was a, a earlier iteration of the company uh, that probably dates back another 15 years earlier than that, that was doing some residential work that included renovations up through a handful of new home builds. Okay. And were you involved with the company all through this? Yeah. So why did you decide to move out of residential and into um, business? Residential is a very, um, it, it, it's a very, very specific crowd that's good at residential and we're just not good at it. Okay. You have to be uh, the type of contractor that can really. Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to sound like we're not hands-on because we're very hands-on and we were super involved in projects. It's a different kind of involvement with residential, and it's uh, residential projects can last for a year, two years. Like when we would build houses, and we'd be still we'd be eighteen months in a house if they were big custom projects. Whereas commercial projects, we can go through a project that's. You know, a million-dollar project might only last four months. So why is that? Why such a difference? Um, residential projects are, they're, 
more confined. I guess there's a physical component, so they're more confined. There's more you got to stick more people into a smaller space. The uh, they certainly have a component where uh, you have to layer everything. So you have, you know, firstly your excavator comes in and he's going to spend a long time, and then your cribber, and then your cement guys, and and they're all you know one step after the other. Whereas for us, you know, really we're we're typically looking at a suite that already exists, and we can we can come in with you know. 30 people and demolish the suite in two days right. and then we can be building it. And then we're just, we're, we're right into plumbing. We're right into drywall and it can all happen almost at the same time. So it's a, it's a really different scope residential to commercial. And there's some people that are amazingly good at residential, others that are really good at commercial. I would imagine too, that residential involves a lot more handholding. Oh yeah. You gotta, you don't like that shade of color or it has to be a different the pile or everything's at a wrong angle and yeah there's a lot of that let's talk a little bit about how your company has managed to grow at a time when many others are struggling what do you think has been leading to that growth well i think one of the big things is that i'm a while i'm a probably one of the the handymen that uh people would rather i don't touch the tools because <laughs> i'll break something and then someone who's good at it's going to come in and have to do it again but i and comfortable on the tools is what I'm saying. But okay. after that, I'm a suit and tie guy. And when I go to quotes, when I meet with clients, I'm in a suit and tie. And when I go to job sites, I, I approach it from that perspective. So I want to approach it from the, uh, the client's perspective. From, you know, they're a suit and tie company. I'm a suit and tie guy. And when I walk onto a job site, I, I expect it to look like my clients expect it to look. And I want them to feel like, we're supporting them at that level where we're giving them good suggestions on, you know, what makes sense, how to save money, how to, where's the right areas to spend money, where should you spend more perhaps. Uh-huh. But we're, we really approach it differently. Like it's, it would be really rare if you went to a quotation and there was 15 contractors to see one guy other than me in a suit. Hmm. So typically I'm the only guy in a suit. That's interesting. And and did you do that intentionally as a marketing thing? I think a little bit. I think uh, ever since I was a kid, I've always thought it was important to look the part. Okay. I've always wanted to kind of be that guy that, you know, if you if you show up in, in dirty jeans, people know that you know how to swing a hammer. But when you show up in a suit and tie, people know that you're about business and you're going to, you know, you might not be able to hammer a nail, but you certainly know something else that's really valuable. You understand presentation. And I mean, if you're doing yeah. the look of what they're going to be living in, presentation's important. Yeah. And the, I guess the other piece of commercial construction is that we're building movie sets for the most part. We're not building, we're not building estate homes that are going to be around in a hundred years. Right. Our projects have, have a 10 year lifespan and then they will, if that long, like sometimes five. Right. And then they will be torn out. And so, you don't you don't build it to an estate home sort of standard. Oh, that's really interesting, but that's a good point. Now, what about, you know, as you say, the amount of competition would have increased with the layoffs in, in the oil industry and stuff. So your business growth, to what extent has that been just you had already reached a critical mass, so you continue to, to grow in that way? Like, how are you being affected by this flood of other competitors? Yeah, I think where we're seeing the competition isn't 
like in our heart. It's more on our extremities. And, okay. You know, we see the guy who's, you know, he's desperate and now he's painting. And, you know, the other guy's a cleaner now. And, like, we do see that crowd. And for the most part, we can use those guys as substrates. So that in some ways is valuable because it can drive our price down a little bit. They, they're competing more with each other. At the, you know, as soon as we get into a million dollar project level, there's a defined crowd and, and frankly, a handful of the crowd that would do a million dollar project has, has dried up. Right. Like, and they've been crushed a little bit and they've lost projects. You know, Alberta's, um, it's an interesting environment where typically if you can do something, mm-hmm. the market will find you and you don't really have to promote yourself well. Hmm. So, you know, basically if you do something well, uh, they're going to find you. But that's changed now, and so if you're not a bit of a marketing machine and out there getting new clients and developing relationships, then you'll you'll die along with the client dying. And so I think what we've done well is that we've we've always seen ourselves as a marketing machine and always been out there presenting ourselves as an option to what other people have been doing. And how do you do that? I guess we we make a lot of phone calls. We go to, to a lot of client events. Uh, we try to figure out who's the who's the individual or individuals that uh, make a difference and have impact, and we spend a lot of time with them. And we yeah, we just throw ourselves out there a lot. Typical marketing. Yeah, and I guess though, given that you are comfortable in the suit and tie, you're able yeah. to go to business networking events and be effective. Yes. You also touched on an interesting point, though, that because there are all these unemployed contractors all of a sudden, or workers, rather, you're able to actually get tradespeople at a better price than you might have previously, so you can actually lower your costs a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the components to Alberta, you know, you're you're bang on. One of the additional components to Alberta today is just that costs worldwide are not going down. So we're seeing kind of a microeconomic event happening in Alberta. Okay. But the price of drywall, for instance, is a massive change to the industry, and it's just happened. Mm. And prices have gone up by roughly 15%. Wow. And that, you know, we, we can't go to our clients and say, well, listen, I know the economy is horrible, uh, but guess what? Your price is going up. <laughs> so that's the reality of it. And, like, we're just in a microcosm, and we just need to just always be looking at where we can, you know, make a difference to the clients. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's uh, looking at different materials, different methodologies and and then just being a better partner for a lot of clients and have you also had to shave your margins a little bit some of our uh, bigger clientele have been out spending a lot of money and so they i think the perception is that hey the market's down this is the time if we were going to ever spend you know 500 million or something on a a whole pile of projects now's the time to do it and so they've uh, certainly gone out and made an effort to look for more contractors which has in essence, drop the price down. So, you know, there's always the repercussions of that, though, I've seen, and where, you know, there's a kind of a fair market value for what we do, and we can't just go broke doing what we do. Right. There is some people, some contractors that will, because they, uh, they're essentially doing all the work themselves, they can skinny out their margins at a huge amount. Mm-hmm. But I haven't really seen the repercussions of that. Like, we haven't heard back from clients and say, Oh, the, you know, while the price was lower, the change orders were unbelievable and we didn't get the products we expected. And I, I suspect there has to be some of that. Right. Okay. 
What about how you organize things internally in terms of systems and processes? How formalized do you have your approach? I would say it's it's quite formal, but quite thin. Mm-hmm. You know, we are not, we don't operate like a large company. We don't have layers and layers of people. Okay. And that's part of the reason why the large companies don't compete well in the marketplace that we're in. Right. Uh, so we have a very small accounting department, small sales team, and small project management team. And, and I think some people are surprised that we take on the project size that we do because huh. they're expecting that we have like a, you know, a big office building and there's, you know, a hundred people behind the scenes, but really it's, you know, it's a handful of people. Right. Okay. And the people who do the work, the tradespeople, they're contracted to you. Yeah. Like probably 95% of the work that we do is contracted and we do have a, you know, site individuals that are always on site or at least they're part-time on site as much as required. Okay. And they will occasionally do some of the work that we just reduce the cost of what we would have paid a subcontractor to help them do it. Sure. So what are the biggest challenges that you're facing these days then with the business? Um, I think, yeah, it's actually, that's a really good question because I think normal course of business would be, you know, when everyone's busy and, you know, they're focused on doing their business, then they don't so much care about the construction project. Suddenly everyone's now really focused on the construction project and they want to be involved and they want to know what's happening. And so what's happened is that the customer has gotten way more involved over the last year Mm. than we would normally see. Right. And so when that happens, typically we have what's called scope creep, Uh where the scope of work tends to expand as you're working, Right. which typically doesn't happen that much normally but now it's it's happening a lot right now so that's probably the biggest thing for us is just managing that creep in the the scope of work that's interesting so are you changing then how you define contracts to to prepare for that or you're just playing Uh, yeah normally we wouldn't have paid it a whole lot of attention because you know someone said oh could you possibly put a door there and it wouldn't be that big of a deal but suddenly we're seeing well, now we all need all new doors and we want glass in the doors and we need electrical outlets everywhere. And and so what we've had to do now is just double back and say, we need to really look at the work that we said we were going to do yeah. and communicate to the client that what they're requesting is outside of what we said we were going to do originally. So it's, that's pretty new and we've had to do a lot of work to manage that. And how do you handle that without getting the client upset? Well, we <laughs> through a process of learning and upsetting a few people. So um, we, I, I guess what we do is we're a little bit tighter on our definition of the scope of work initially. Yep. And um, when a client comes to us, we've essentially told them now that we don't start work on this new thing until they've signed documentation stating that they understand, firstly, that it's a, a change to the original scope of work uh-huh. and that there's an additional cost and that it actually will change the date for the finale. Right. That's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that, but that makes total sense. They've got more time to be more interventionist. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time, Craig. And uh, I wish you continued success. Obviously, listening closely to your customers becomes even more important in tough times. One thing that I found really interesting in this interview was the impact of branding in growing the business by, as he put it, being a suit and tie guy in an industry where most weren't. 
It's a good reminder, I think, that how you brand your company sets up expectations in the minds of your customers. So always, always be sure that you're being consistent with that branding and with those expectations. Just a quick reminder, I will be speaking at the Creating the New Alberta Convention in Red Deer on Saturday, November 26th, 2016. And you can get a 20% discount if you're registering for that by using the code PEOPLESHOCK, all as one word. So if you want to register for that, go to www.abctech.ca forward slash event dash options. It'd be great if I saw you there. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback on the show and your ideas for people you think I should interview or topics you're struggling with that you'd really like me to cover. You can reach me as always through email Tema, T-E-M as in marketing, A, at frankreactions.com, on Twitter, simply at Tema Frank, on LinkedIn, or on the Frank Reactions Facebook page. So I hope to see you in one or all of those places. You may want to subscribe to the Frank Ideas newsletter as well. That's all I've got for today. Have a wonderful week. Bye. Bye.